brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Rep Radio, on time, on target. Very excited to, once again, we're doing video on this one, have Renee Nickel on with us, author of Always My Hero, The Road to Hope and Healing, following my brother's death in Afghanistan. Came out earlier this year, independently published. Um, and then I know you say in the book, Renee, that it like publishers were telling you this was going to take years and you got it done relatively quickly and, and it's doing well and getting great reviews. Yeah, I um, started the process um, a year ago, so I, um, you know, had no experience writing books, mostly just college papers, and um, I started probably October and of uh, 2017 and contacted uh, uh, an author coach, so she kind of um, just guided me through my outline and then um, gave me deadlines so she would tell me, you know, I need this many words or this much done by in the next 30 days. And um, I pretty much had the full manuscript done in three months. That's fast. Yeah. Really fast. Especially something like this, which, I mean, this is an easy subject matter to write. Yeah, I had, um, I didn't plan on it being uh, such a short amount of time to write. But the way my publisher explained it to me was, you know, it would just be better to rip the Band-Aid off a lot quicker than it would to um, basically relive all the trauma for the next nine months to a year. Um, It it was better for my family. I got four kids. So it was just a lot better to, um, you know, get it done. So so to give some uh, background here, your brother was uh, Marine Corps Major Samuel Griffith, uh, Marine Corps officer and F-18 aviator. He died in 2011 Af- in Afghanistan. So I think the first thing to start with that would be great is just the background of uh, who your brother was. Uh, he was he was a pretty incredible person. He was uh, determined from a very young age. Um, at the age of five, you know, he made a decision that he was going to be a fighter pilot. And, you know, I, I think, all five-year-olds think they want to do something really grand with their life. Um, but he did, he just, he kept pursuing that goal. And, um, he went to Penn state university after he graduated, uh, from high school and then got a ROTC scholarship, um, became a, um, you know, Marine officer, went into flight school, went to Pensacola for flight school as a, um, as an aviator. And he deployed to Iraq in 2003 as an F-18 pilot. So the, um, you know, that deployment was pretty much cut and dry. He just went over there, um, dropped some artillery for three months and, and came back. And then, um, he, uh, just, 
he had a hard time um, requalifying to fly that to continue to fly. So it was it was really a a um, a commander issue, a personality issue with the with the commander not wanting to requalify him. So at that point, he was he was in Beaufort, um, South Carolina, and, and he was going to transfer. He was looking at transferring to Dallas Fort Worth area to fly. Um, but he decided that, uh, he wanted to join the fourth Anglico with West and with, uh, in uh, West Palm beach. I love that. Uh, I was reading the book today, uh, that part where the, uh, as you're saying, your brother, when he's like five years old and other kids are like, I want to be a soldier. I want to be a firefighter. And he's like, I want to be a fighter pilot. Like I just made his mind up. Done deal. Yeah, that was him. He, um, there was no change in his mind. So he, um, he just he just knew what he wanted to do and he, he accomplished it. So he was a um, he was a very unique individual. He had a lot of perseverance and grit, um, but man, he was a troublemaker too. He could. <laughs> I, <laughs> but I, he never got caught. You know, I'm the I'm the one who always got caught. He always got away with it. <laughs> I, I like that in the book. You spend a lot of time talking about you know you guys growing up together. And, uh, and humanizing him, you know, when we see casualties, uh, you know, military casualties in the newspapers, you know, you get a name an age, a, a unit affiliation, but you don't really know who that person was. And I, I, uh, I think books like this are great. Um, we've had a, we've been lucky enough to have uh, a number of different gold star family members yeah. on the show before. And each time you learn so much more about who these individuals actually are. And, uh, in your book is, is right there, uh, with them. Uh, and I think it really accomplishes that goal. Thank you. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, when you see the news and we hear about the stories of, of what they did in action, uh, when they died, how they died, you know, we just, we see the war hero, um, you know, and we can, we can kind of idolize that and not really, not really get to know who these, these men and women were as people and who they were to their families. And, um, you know, the, the, the man that my brother was to his Marines was different than what, you know, we saw personally. Um, I mean, they got to see some of the, some of the funny sides of my brother and, and, you know, he was kind of a fatherly figure to his Marines and kind of a big brother type, type, um, deal. But, um, you know, he was, he was an officer and, um, and I think, I think if they read how he was, you know, I know some of them have said that, you know, they have a hard time reading the book. They don't, they don't really want to, um, kind of open that. They have everything compartmentalized and they don't want to open up that, that part of his life. Um, but you know, he was, he was a really, really incredible person. I, I and, think, um, um... I think you refer to it a little bit in the book about, you know, how the people who worked with him in the Marine Corps, they had a, one relationship with them and then you had your relationship with him. And I guess what I'm getting at, and I would bring it up because I've seen it in the past also, that people form different types of relationships with them at different periods of time, different places in their life. And uh, it's interesting how you know, after something like this happens, we all remember that person in different ways and we have different no, it's okay. <laughs> All good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I just think it's interesting how you know we remember people in different ways after they're gone, and I guess it speaks towards how these are three-dimensional, multifaceted people. 
yeah, I'm just going to go walk over here. <laughs> oh, good. Maybe we could see uh, your dog on cam. We're, yeah. I well, dogs, you know, so. the dog, the dog ate the, the, tur- the Thanksgiving ham and, um, <laughs> He, the honey got stuck in his beard and we had to shave him down the next day. So oh, he doesn't look like a miniature schnauzer anymore. He looks <laughs> like, like some rat terrier, but um, we're yeah, glad he had talking. a good Thanksgiving though. He, yeah, he did. He, um, <laughs> somebody was knocking on the door, so he was going a little crazy, but sorry about that. There's that's life. Yeah, no, right? no, no, not a problem. So I'd like to get a little bit more into um, Samuel's actual military career and, and what he did and, and first deploying and, and your reaction yeah. to that, that type of thing. So um, so he deployed three times, you know, two times to Iraq and, and one time to Afghanistan. And and, uh, you know, he was just he was just my big brother. You know, that's that's just how I saw him. Um, he. You know, I mentioned a little bit of the the first deployment to Iraq and the second deployment. Um, you know, he went to he went to he was going to Iraq with the Fourth Anglico, and um, I knew he was going to be on the ground. I had a conversation with my dad in in the kitchen uh, before he was to deploy, and my dad was really concerned, and and I just didn't have any concern. Um, he was just invincible to me, and um, he did end up, you know. Yeah, I mean, he came home and, um, there was no issues or anything. And I, you know, I just kind of felt like my dad was overreacting a little bit in that moment. You know, I was just like, you know, this is Sam, you know, he, he can, he gets things done. So he kept the second de- or the, the third deployment, uh, which was to Afghanistan, um, just kind of kept it under wraps a little while. He didn't, he didn't even tell my mom about it for uh, quite some time. And, and my mom lives in, in West Palm beach or actually Jupiter. And, um, and so he was traveling from Virginia beach to West Palm, um, as a reservist. So, you know, once she, uh, he had all these boxes of equipment being shipped to her house and so she had no idea what was in these boxes. And so she would just put it in the back bedroom. And then one day he's in there and he's got just, you know, all of his equipment, you know, spread out all over the bedroom. And she walks in and she's like, what is going on? And he's like, you know, well, mom, I'm, I'm being deployed. And she, he said, I told you about that. And she said, no, I think I would know if you <laughs> told me you were being deployed. And she said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to Afghanistan. And, um, you know, she, she maintained good composure, but she was, she was worried. And then, um, you know, then he called me up and, and told me that he was going to Afghanistan. And again, you know, I didn't really understand what he did at the time. Um, I wasn't really worried about his, his safety. You know, I just, I felt like he was an expert at what he did and he was, um, but, um, you know, he, he was training that entire summer before he went to, on his deployment to Afghanistan. And, um, he was the, uh, he was the, um, the DOC, he was the detachment officer in charge, um, as a forward air controller. So he took his expertise as a, um, you know, a fighter pilot and, um, took that into his field into, with the fourth Anglico. So he basically, uh, he would be at a, a larger base and he would be watching a, a live feed and he would be communicating with the aircraft. Um, 
and then, you know, pretty much try to make a contact with a visual contact with the enemy and then, you know, call in the air support and, and, um, try to, uh, prosecute the, the enemy. So, I mean, that was his job. And then if you want me to, you know, I can, I can discuss a little bit or, you know, I can go into the details of that day, um, and talk about that. So, um, he, uh, you know, his team was only allowed to take, um, uh, two men, you know, so it was, uh, two guys from a four man team and, and Jason Hartzell was the, or Sergeant Hartzell. He, um, he was going out for three or four days and he was under a lot of, uh, a lot of gunfire from the, from the Taliban. And so my brother was viewing all of this on the video screen and he was only, he was five weeks into the deployment. And so, you know, the type of guy my brother is, you know, they, they knew that my brother wasn't going to, uh, want Sergeant Hartzell to continue to just remain under fire after he's already been, you know, under heavy fire for several days. So, um, you know, he kind of sat everybody down and, and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to go out there the next day. I'll take your shift. And, um, and so, and that's what he did. He went out with Sergeant Winters and, uh, they were about 200, I want to say about 200 feet from the camp and they just began to come under heavy fire. And, uh, um, Winters and my brother got behind a, a mound and, um, they couldn't make con- contact as to where the, um, the enemy gunfire was coming from. And my brother exposed himself to get, um, an ID. And unfortunately, you know, that risk, he, um, ultimately, you know, took his life. So, uh, but he ended up, you know, saving all his guys, you know, they were able to get the enemy and, and, um, they all came home. So, and that was the goal. That was my brother's ultimate goal was to make sure all his men came home. What happened, uh, as far as where the story picks up, um, with, you know, how you found out about this and, you know, your, your, your family then had to go through this, you know, arduous process of, you know, obviously there's the, the practical things that have to be done when you lose a service member in your family, but also just processing this over the subsequent, you know, days and weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it still just kind of feels like a dream. Um, you know, it's just one of those, uh, surreal moments where you are really just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, unless you've really experienced a state of shock, you know, it's really hard to, to describe, but, um, it's, I mean, I just relate it to like an out of body experience, uh, for probably a good year. Um, they always say the second year is harder than the first year because the first year you're, you're living in shock, uh, from the trauma and, you know, um, you know, crap just hits the fan after someone dies. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of gold star families and, and it's tragic enough to lose somebody in war. Um, you know, someone who is defending our freedoms and our country and who has a love for our country. And I don't think, um, I don't think civilians really understand the magnitude of 
the sacrifice the family makes because it's not just the sacrifice isn't just losing the, you know, the loved member of the family. Um, the sacrifice is having to live, um, in this, in this turmoil for, you know, however long. Um, and there's a lot of turmoil that happens, you know, and there's, you know, a military losses, loss in, it, in its own is, is difficult. Um, but a military loss has so many different, um, aspects to it that it just, it, it's just, I'm not going to say it's harder. It's just different. And, um, and a lot of families just go through a really, really difficult time afterwards. Yeah. You said it in, in the book, you know, I, I mean, the families are never going to be the same regardless, but you know, sometimes it brings them closer together. Sometimes it, it, it you know, drives a wedge between the family members. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you know, there's certain family members I, I grew, um, a lot closer with, and then there's, there's ones that, you know, I just don't talk to anymore. Um, but I got to the place where, you know, I'm at peace with that. You know, it is, it is what it is. And, and I just want everybody else to, um, to be able to go on with their lives as, as best as they can. Um, so, and that's what I had to do. You know, it's just, it's a relearning how to live, you know, without that person. I mean, he was two years older than me and, um, and we were really close and, um, you know, now, you know, I don't have any sibling relationships. So, you know, that, that in itself is, is, uh, is difficult. What was uh, your family's reaction to publishing the book? Um, well, my mom was really supportive. I don't, I don't have a relationship with my father or my, uh, my half siblings. Um, so I don't really know, but, um, my, my mom, my extended family, my cousins, everybody was, was really excited. Um, I think my mom's probably read the book like three or four times. Um, and close friends and family were really supportive. His Marines, uh, were contributors to the book. Uh, and I know that was really, really difficult for them. So I am, I am just so grateful that they were, um, just so willing to be a part of this project. And, um, but, you know, the family that I communicate with um, thought it was really well written, you know, and, and that I did a really great job describing my brother. I've had a lot of other siblings write me and tell me, hey, you know, um, your the relationship with you and your brother just reminds me so much of my sibling relationship. And, and that's really what I wanted. I didn't I didn't want you know, an American sniper book. I didn't want a book that was just going to, um, talk about my brother's career. And, um, I wanted, I wanted people to walk away from the book feeling like they knew him. Was there a little bit, I I hate to use the term silver lining, but a little bit of, um, something positive for you in researching this book and that you got to go and talk to the Marines he served with and, and probably learn all kinds of stories and things about him that you didn't know before. Yeah, that was, that was pretty incredible. Um, it was a, we did an impromptu trip December of 2017. So a year ago, uh, just by circumstance, um, some guys who knew him in back in 2003 and had deployed with him, um, they invited me to come to Beaufort, South Carolina and, and take me around his old, old squadron. And so, you know, they were just incredible hosts. 
I brought the whole family. We got to go out on the flight line with all the F-18s and see exactly where he used to taxi out of and and fly out of. And it, it was just it was just an amazing journey to see and hear these stories um, that I felt were kind of kept in a vault. Yeah. And 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 even with his Marines to just sit down with them and and hear these stories. I, I don't think I would have ever known otherwise. So that was a real gift. What what was the funniest story or the funniest thing you learned about your brother after the fact while you were doing the research for the book? Um, there, well, you know, I mean, he was just a really funny guy all around. Um, I don't know if I if I learned anything funnier than what I already knew. <laughs> um, I think one of the one of the funniest stories um, that I heard was from one of his Marines that, uh, what, what made it funny was that he said, there's stories that are so funny that he can never tell me. So, um, you know, just, just the fact that he, he honors my brother that way, that he's not gonna, <laughs> he's not gonna share the best stories about him. But, um, you know, I don't know. There's, there's just so many, um, funny stories. You know, he, my brother was, was famous for never making it through a joke. So I think the most endearing quality about him to his friends and family and his Marines were, was the fact that he, he tried to tell a funny joke, but he always thought it was so funny. Like he'd literally be like shaking, laughing so hard and everybody's just waiting for this punchline. And (laughs) they could, he just never could get to the punchline. <laughs> and so, you know, he could just make a room full of people just burst out laughing because he's laughing so hard at this stupid joke he can't even get through. So, um, you know, everybody just loved that quality about him. You know, just his horrible joke telling. <laughs> That's great. Um, so what, what's the main thing that you want people to get out of this book once they read it, once they pick it up, whether they're you know, someone who has served or someone who wants to know what it's like to have a sibling who served and made the ultimate sacrifice? Um, well, you know, I wrote this, I wrote this book, uh, from the standpoint of a sibling, from my perspective, um, after my brother died, I realized there's just no content out there whatsoever on sibling loss. Um, I'm sure there's books written by psychologists on, you know, overcoming grief as a sibling, but, um, I just didn't find a whole lot of, uh, personal stories on what it's like to go through a traumatic death of losing a sibling. So what I really wanted to create was, um, my, my first goal was to make sure that the reader knew what the kind of person my brother was, um, you know, who he was as a man and as a brother and as a son and, um, you know, just for them to, to be able to make him relatable to their own sibling. And, you know, secondly, it was for them to feel validated in their grief. Um, you know, a lot of siblings just, they put off their grief to support the parents and the widow and the, the surviving children. And, um, you know, they, typically siblings don't really start dealing with their grief until about two years post loss. Um, and so I wanted to have a book that, that really just acknowledges the pain that siblings may or have, 
you know, after losing somebody so close. I think an excellent thing about it too, is just the future generations who never got to meet your brother that are in your family. They're going to get to know him through your work. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's probably the best thing that, that will come out of this. Um, you know, I, I didn't write a book to, to get rich. Um, I've, I've actually given away a lot more books than I've sold. Um, you know, I'm promoting it like crazy. I'm trying to get it out there, but you know, my, my goal is to hopefully get this book into as many, um, Americans, especially, um, hands as possible, just so they can, they can know, you know, the type of person he was, you know, he was, he was a really, really great guy. Um, not just because he died in war, but because he lived his life in a way that deserves to be written about. And it's it's a story that deserves to be told. And you also mentioned that you have children yourself. I was just wondering, because I struggle with this myself sometimes is what do you tell your kids about your brother and about war? Um, well, my, my eight year old son was one at the time that my brother died. And we talk about my brother so much that my eight year old feels like he knows him. Um, he refers to him as uncle Sammy. He talks about him. Uh, we take him to Arlington. You know, we walk around Arlington. We don't just go to my brother's grave. You know, they, they are growing up in an atmosphere of understanding, um, the sacrifice that our military men and women make. So, you know, we, you know, war is a real thing. Uh, we don't shelter them. I mean, we don't watch a whole lot of news, but, um, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, it's probably, it's, it's one-sided anyway, but I won't get into that. So, you know, um, you know, we're just honest with them. It was, it was a really difficult time after, after Sam died. You know, I, I don't remember the first three years of my son's life. So, I mean, I have pictures, but I, I really rely a lot on my 19 year old who was 12 at the time to kind of fill in the details of, of what happened during that time. So there's a lot of moments in those first two to three years that are, are blurs. And, um, but you know, we're just honest with them as, as much as possible about, you know, the sacrifices and, and war and, you know, they don't need to know the gory details, but, um, you know, we don't, we don't shelter them from that. That's real life. Yeah, it is. And I'm, uh, I'm grateful that you, you wrote this book because as I was, I was getting into a little bit earlier, I mean, it's unfortunate that all too often the casualties are just statistics, uh, not out of malice. Um, it's just that we don't necessarily have the opportunity to get to know these people on a personal level. And, um, when you write a book like this, it really, I think touches a nerve. Um, you know, obviously the the service member, uh, service man or woman pays a, a steep price, but oftentimes we don't really understand or feel the impact that it has on the entire family. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think my immediate family, you know, to include my husband and and my four kids, um, the, probably my oldest daughter probably had the most amount of PTSD. Um, she was 12 years old when, when I got the, uh, the phone call that Sam had been killed 
And, you know, it's really been hard just going back into, into that memory of that day and, um, her just stepping into action, you know, into an adult role and taking her little siblings and her little, you know, five-year-old sister at the time and putting them in a corner in a room, uh, because mommy was screaming on the floor and, and couldn't even get up. And, and, and then she comes out and she's making phone calls and she's calling her dad, telling her that uncle Sammy had been killed and, and, you know, and other, other close friends. So they can kind of, you know, they can come to the house and, um, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't talk about that, that day at all. Um, she's still a bit disconnected, um, in regards to that. And she's, you know, she's gone through, um, just a lot of healing in her own way, you know, but, you know, we just, you know, we just make it through the best we can and we try to be the best we can and, and, um, try to make a difference with what we have left. Absolutely. I, I think it's great when these books are written, as Jack said, we had on Jeff Falkel once who talked yep. about uh, his son, Chris Falkel, who was a Green Beret, uh, mm-hmm. died in combat. And I think it's important to keep these legacies uh, going for future generations, as I said. Um, and, and it's great that you're getting the book out there. I see you're doing like a lot of press for it. And yeah. you know, for something independent, it's it's hard to get the word out. Um, and you're doing a great job of it. So the website is uh, reneenickel.com, R-E-N-E-E-N-I-C-K-E-L-L.com. The book is Always My Hero, The Road to Hope and Healing, Following My Brother's Death in Afghanistan. Anything else you want to get out there? Are there any organizations helping out Gold Star families or anything like that? Uh, right now, actually, uh, there's an organization. Uh, it's called Believe With Me, and it's uh, believewithme.com. The uh, founder, Liette Rebeck, every year she provides uh, Christmas presents for Gold Star Kids. So right now they have over a thousand Gold Star Kids signed up for presents. And this is a nonprofit. So they do, you know, they rely solely on donations. But, you know, I remember what it was like that Christmas that my brother died and wondering how we're going to have Christmas for the kids. And, you know, we had Toys for Tots come in and and save the day for us. Uh, But Liette, you know, they're, they need about $150,000 to get all these gifts out to these gold star kids by Christmas. Their ship date is December 17th. So, you know, if I can just get it out there that you can go to her website and you can sponsor a gold star child. Um, and it makes an incredible impact on their life. I mean, it's, it's great to know that you're not forgotten at Christmas time. So, um, and that America's remembering you, they're remembering the sacrifice. Excellent. What's the website again? It's believewithme.com. Cool. All right. I'm sure a lot of people will check that out. That's that's a great thing to do. Great organization this to is hear about. a good yeah. time of year to go and do that. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. It, you know, it's it doesn't take a large chunk of your budget to to change, you know, to, to help a kid. Absolutely. Thanks again so much for doing this. We appreciate it, Renee. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great. All right. So I'm going to wrap up uh, the rest of what we're doing with Jack, and I'll have this up tomorrow, and I'll... Uh, Send it over to you. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, thank Thanks you, so Renee. Much. Feel free to reach experience. out anytime. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. So that, that one, excellent. Uh, I mean, like I said, this was kind of similar to when we had Jeff Falco on to speak about Chris Falco. And I'm glad that people yeah. are writing these type of books. And I, I, and I, I mean, think it's you, almost... you even had, uh, while well, I, I wasn't here, you had that Marine who worked in Mortuary Affairs yes, come yeah. on. 
And I mean, these are kind of like some dark stories, man. But on the other hand, it's look, we're, we're at war. We've been at war for 17 years. Like people need to hear this stuff. Yeah. What I was going to say is I, I think it's almost a newer thing. People are writing, people have written books as Vietnam veterans and, you know, that type of thing. But I think Gold Star family members writing books about their loved ones because of the fact that now you could self-publish and that uh-huh. type of thing. Because, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, because, it's unfortunate yeah, but I don't I know, think I know major publishers yeah. will pick up on that type. I know Taya Kyle is a book out, but for the most part, it's not something a major publisher. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying, Ian. And I mean, but yeah, I mean, no, probably there's no publisher out there that wants to say this out loud, but this is difficult subject matter. And I mean, quite frankly, it's not necessarily commercial because it's not the big flag waving. Well, maybe, well, maybe, maybe it is. I I, I can't necessarily say I'm not describing any of these gold star books as unpatriotic by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I'm just saying that, yeah, you're never going to be able to make it into an action movie. Probably. Yeah. You know, it has a lot to do with, uh, what the families go through and their feelings and the, the sentimentality they have with their loved one. So, I mean, it's not necessarily the most commercial material, but yes, you're right with self-publishing. Um, it opens up a lot of these doors and a lot of these avenues. Um, we also had on that um, journalist who wrote a book about the Army Ranger. Yes, Heart of a Ranger about a uh, uh, Ranger. Um, I'm trying to think of his name. He's the guy that Nick Irvin credits for saving his life. Benjamin Cobb. Yes. Yeah, yeah that was an, that's an incredible book, too. I, I read that one. Um, but I, I encourage people to keep writing these books, and I hope the family members will continue writing these books um, so that their family member is not just a a name, an age, and a rank in a list of KIAs in this war um, so that people can read about them and see who they actually were as a man or a woman and really fully understand, um, you know, the nature of their sacrifice um, because a lot of times we don't necessarily, watching a news report, you don't understand what what happened to that person, you know. Um, and also understanding the impact that it has on the family. She alluded to her, uh, alluded to, uh, alluded to it herself. And we had the other authors, I think, say the same thing. These books don't really make money. Um, the book on Benjamin Cop, I, I think he said he's lost money doing. Jeff Falco's book is self-published. It's you know not making thousands or even millions of dollars it's, it's kind it's of it's just it's more about the memory of these people if you'll if you'll bear with my cynicism for a moment i mean it's it's telling isn't it that america they want to hear the war stories but they don't want to hear about the the real life fallout the real life consequences yeah that these families go through and that these pe- these soldiers go through um it's unfortunate yeah I think a lot of our audience does want to hear this stuff, though, so pick yes. it up. Always My Hero. It's available on Amazon um, in Kindle, paperback. I was looking. Apparently, like, they're about to restock, I think, of the paperback. There are only a few left, so you guys might sell them out after this show, uh, hopefully. And, you know, hopefully it does well for Renee as well. I want to talk about some things going on. First, I do want to talk about what's going on here at Hurricane Media. Uh, check out Crate Club. We have that long-anticipated collaboration watch with NFW Watches out. You're wearing. Uh, I thought you were about to roll up your sleeve. I was like, you're wearing it. No, though? no, I'm not wearing a watch today. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I switch off. Some days I wear a watch. Some I don't. Uh, today I'm not. But I've also been looking at the Instagram and I see like all the custom uh, shirts we're putting out and like beanies and stuff like that. Really? I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, if you go on Instagram, if you go look up the uh, official Crate Club Instagram, we have some gear coming out, which is cool because. 
whenever you're wearing a soft rep radio shirt or I'm wearing a soft rep shirt on the show, people are like, where can I get those? You don't <laughs> have them anymore. But if you're a member of Crate Club, you'll be getting some cool Crate Club gear. Uh, so it's a club for men, by men. We have some stuff with the Panthera brand coming out as well on their uh, custom sunglass cases, EDC bags, and other manly products. You can check that all out at crateclub.us. Once again, that's crateclub.us. And we were talking about dogs before. Didn't get to see a video of uh, Renee's dog. But if you're a dog owner, uh, by now, many of you know, we have a partnership with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog every month of healthy treats and training aids. It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. Um, not only promotes a healthy diet, but also promotes being active with your dog. So whether we're talking a pit bull, a chihuahua, what dog did she have? She said like a miniature stouser. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what type of dog you have. Uh, if you want to be subscribed with Kuna. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm seeing the, the, the t-shirts and the they look awesome. Here, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm a fan. I'm looking forward to getting those hopefully. Uh, but yeah, with Kuna, you can see all that at Kuna.dog. C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. Your dog's going to love it. It's efficient for you. And the last thing I'm going to mention is the Spec Ops channel. Uh, it's still a 50% discounted membership for only $4.99 a month. You'll get the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. Uh, if you watch Training Cell on there, I know a lot of you watched all the episodes. It's guys training in jungle and winter warfare, defensive driving, shooting schools, climbing, all different types of stuff, and you can see all of that on the Spec Ops channel. That's specopschannel.com. A lot of stuff that was previously on YouTube is now on the Spec Ops channel. So become a member, less than $5 a month. Don't know what you're waiting for if you're not already a member. And you can watch all that on the app as well if you look up the Spec Ops channel app, which SoftRep Radio has its own app right now too, and website softrepradio.com, which is really cool. And a lot of people are listening through the app which I was kind of blown away by because I'm able to see the numbers on SoundCloud and on YouTube. Um, SoundCloud tracks the whole RSS feed. But then Chris, our web guy, uh, gave me the information of how I could track people listening on the app and the website, and it's a lot. We're getting you know a lot of listeners each week, more than we ever have. How it's many people awesome are listening see. on the app? Uh, on the app itself, it's about half. So, you know, we're getting like somewhere around 25,000 listens a week. Shit, on, really? On the, uh, yeah, on SoundCloud and the RSS feed and then kind of, you know, the same on the app. It's Holy a lot. shit, that's crazy. Yeah, it's tens of thousands of people. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's great to see, um, you know, getting between like 50,000 and 100,000 listens a week. It's just very cool. Uh, all right. With that, I want to talk about uh, your latest <laughs> article, the Green Beret Foundation. It's funny because we were talking about, you know, great organization helping Gold Star families. Green Beret Foundation, there seems to be a lot of inner drama. A little bit, yeah. Um, they're working to put it behind them. Um, I, I know I, I said I, when we talked about this when it first happened that I wasn't going to weigh in at all. Um, and I kept getting hit up about it. And then I got forwarded a whole bunch of legal documents. Um, there's a lawsuit going on. But um, anyway, I, I, employees I, wrote an, I wrote an article today. Um, I, I spoke with, um, you know, uh, one of the board members at the Green Beret Foundation. Current board member? Or? Yeah, current board member, Jason McCarthy, um, to get, you know, some of the, the board's perspective on things. And I spoke with uh, Jennifer Paquette, who was the uh, executive director up until recently. Um and the, the, there's a dispute with uh, Jen and with the board and um, how some things went down. 
Um, what exactly for people who don't know? There are a number of claims um, that she def- uh, she uh, refutes, um, and and it's going to end up being settled in court. Um, one of the big ones is that she locked the Green Beret Foundation out of their data systems, their data banks, their rosters, um, and accounts and things like that so that they couldn't do business. And she says that's not true. They always had access. Um, there's another claim that she... Um, broke in or otherwise unlawfully entered the Green Beret Foundation's building and removed proprietary documents. Um, She says that's also not true, that she never did that, that she never entered the premises. Again, these things are going to have to be um, hashed out in court unless both parties, you know, drop the matter um, and and agree to go, you know, their separate ways. Um, But I, like I said, I I talked to both parties. Um, I think that, you know, they're both reasonable people. Uh, at the end of the day, and that they're, um, I, I hope for the sake of the, you know, both of the, for all of those concerned, as well as the Green Beret Foundation itself, that they're able to kind of drop the matter, drop the lawsuits um, and counterclaims, et cetera, et cetera, drop the allegations um, and move on. Because the Green Beret Foundation does do some really great stuff, um, really do some great work to support um, you know, special forces soldiers, uh, or retired members, guys who have left, um, and need some help. Um, what else was I going to mention with that? Oh yeah. So then the other thing with that is there's a little like social media war going on and there's, um, members of the special forces community. Um, I don't know if they're in any way associated with the Green Beret Foundation or not. I, I really don't know because they're, you know, remaining anonymous and using like these burner social media accounts. And they're keeping fanning the flames against uh, against Jen and against her husband, who um, is also a disabled uh, former Green Beret. And um, someone is sending letters to the hospital where uh, Jen's husband works, trying to get him fired, trying to smear his character, just really petty, underhanded stuff, uh, underhanded tactics that are whichever way you fall, wherever you fall on this matter, whatever your opinion is um, of the the board at the Green Beret Foundation or of, um, of Jen Paquette, these kind of tactics are just unseemly and inappropriate, and, um, and it's wrong. Uh, it's it's another case of you know green berets eating their own. Um, it's something that we're very good at. And um, when I talked to uh, Mr. McCarthy on the phone yesterday, you know he agreed. He's like, that's deplorable, and those personal attacks are wrong and inappropriate. Um, so I hope that you know everyone's able to move on from this, kind of put the drama behind them, and as cliche as it sounds, let the healing begin. Yeah, and, and do <laughs> some know? good work. I mean, because that's what it's about at the end yes. of the day is helping families of green berets. Helping, I believe, like homeless Green Berets. I know that's more yeah. gallant few, but yeah, and uh, and uh, and Jen and uh, and Jason McCarthy both are, I think, on the same sheet of music when it comes to that. They're both supportive of the foundation and the good work that they do there, and um, and hope that they can continue to do that. Yeah, and and also when people are donating to a foundation, they they want to know that you know people are on the same page and that the money's going to a good cause. When they hear about drama. 
That's just not what you want to hear when you're donating to an organization. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's an unfortunate turn of events for sure. And I, I, again, I'm still not going to weigh in with who's right and who's wrong because I don't know. I, I've, review, I've reviewed the legal documents. I've looked at the claims, the counterclaims, the, <laughs> the, the filing of a temporary or a, a, a restraining order. Wow. Um, and then the counterclaims against that. And so I've gone through it and... I mean, uh, I, I don't have the facts of the matter, but I can look at it and I can see, you know, the, what both parties say. And um, I, I think trying to look at it objectively, I don't see any reason why this puppy couldn't be put to sleep, can't be put to bed and they move on. Um, and I, I hope that I hope that's what ends up happening. Well said, man. Um, I saw that Leo Jenkins has a new book out that he co-authored. It's called Rise of the Unarmed Forces. And it's actually helping to benefit education for girls in Afghanistan, part of the proceeds. So that's really cool. Pick that up, Rise of the Unarmed Forces. And I saw that Mark Cuban uh, said something highly of it, which you said you believe his co-author may have been in Shark Tank or something. I, I think I think Combat Flip-Flops was on Shark Tank. Yeah, and it? I saw a picture of Mark Cuban with Combat Flip-Flops. So he may have been an investor. I actually, I don't know who it was, but somebody from Combat Flip Flops approached me at the SHOT Show like years and years ago now. And like, I, didn't, I had no idea who they were. Uh, so I, talk, I had like a, a five or six minute conversation with a guy. And I, I think he was t- trying to tell me about one thing. And I thought it was something else, and I was talking to him about something completely different. <laughs> it's just one of those weird things. Yeah. Now, now I now I know who they are, what they do, and, and the I, money goes to a good cause. Yeah, right? yeah, it's so. great. Um, then, you know, they you know they raise money, I believe, for uh, for girls' schools in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. And I think the book is you know doing the same mm-hmm. thing. So. And, and you know, Leo Jenkins has been a guest on the show a few times. He's a terrific guy. Um, so I mean, I, I think it's great that they did a book together, and I'd I'd like to read it myself, see what they uh, see what it's about. Yeah, we, I have people booked for like you know months ahead of time at this point, but I'd like to get Leo on maybe in late January or February talk about the book. I think yeah, cool. even if we can sneak him in for like 10, 15 minutes to to um, yeah. talk about the book, that'd be really cool. Yeah, we should make it happen. Maybe his co-author as well. Um, so it's Rise of the Unarmed Forces. Pick that up. Uh, I've been getting a lot of emails uh, about suggestions for the show, some British SAS guys, some IDF snipers. Uh, I haven't gotten back to everybody because, like I said, I have, like, so much booked right now, and I- I'm just deciding between Jack and I who do we have yeah. on. Who we have, because <laughs> we, re- we really can't have everybody on. It's just, like, an insane amount of people I'm getting. So I- I'm going to do my best to figure out who will get on. Um, but right now, like up until late January, we have everything booked. Our I'm next, excited for our, Quinn. Yeah, our, our next couple of guests are going to be pretty interesting. Quinn Emerson, I'm really excited right. for. And I then, and then after Clint is uh, the Thomas. guy. He he's a guy who um, was a big part of uh, the agency contracting deal that did uh, personal security detachments. Is, I, I know that he was referred to us by Dale Comstock. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a book coming out, and yeah. he, he was uh, a big part of um, standing up the predecessor of what we now know as GRS. Um, they're like the guys who act as the bodyguards for CIA case officers overseas. That's going to be great. Yeah, so it's going great... to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of awesome people coming on. I'm excited for it. I'm always excited for just that. And, and Quint's an interesting guy, too, suffice Quint's to great. say. And you know what, Quint? It's really perfect time to have Quint on uh, just this month in general with everything going on in Saudi Arabia because Quint was born and raised in Saudi Arabia, 
and he's very vocal about his opposition <laughs> to everything over there. And and you know he's he's made some Instagram posts about like. Uh, you know, in like his type of language, like we don't need your fucking oil anymore. Uh, you know, we could start drilling here. And he's he's very adamant about that type of stuff. And I'd like to hear his opinion of, you know, the journalism stuff going on there yeah. and, and uh, Trump's response which I know, you know, people have had mixed reactions. Who were Trump just straight up said, like, we're not going to flush billions of dollars in weapons contracts down the toilet because one dude gets killed. I was like, man, that's like the most real, honest thing <laughs> one of our presidents has ever said about Saudi Arabia ever. Yeah, he also <laughs> said... I'm not saying he's like morally right, yeah. but it's the most honest thing we've ever heard <laughs> about he, Saudi Arabia. He also had that tweet about, you know, oil prices keep going down, you know, let's see it keep coming, that type of thing. It was all about the Saudi... It was in response to the Saudi Arabia thing. Uh, but you are right in the honesty and that we've always had a close relationship with the Saudis and it's always been, but we always try to like downplay it. Like, Oh, we're like wag our finger, you know, uh, on one hand. And then on the other, we had a very close relationship with them. Yeah. But it's always been very, uh, hypocritical. We've had this opposition to Islamic theocracies yeah. and, uh, we need human rights in Iran, yeah. but not Saudi Arabia. <laughs> like what the fuck? Like how does, how does this work? Yeah. It's extremely hypocritical. And, and I think, once again, this is one of those issues where people thought Trump would be a departure, and it's not Trump specifically. We've never seen a departure on this issue for any administration in my lifetime. So. Too big to fail. Yeah, I, I think that's the oil the industry is too big to fail. Absolutely. All right, guys, well, um, keep checking us out. As always, SoffRupRadio.com. If you haven't seen the website, we're... You know, write up the descriptions, put up the banners, which our guy Zach has been doing an excellent job with. And uh, yeah, Quint Emerson, next episode, go pick up Always My Hero. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. It's another interesting show, I think. For sure. Keeping it personal. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.